Matthew chapter 25. You'll see that um, in this chapter, the, um, there's three parables in Matthew chapter 25 dealing with the return of Christ. There's the, uh, the parable of the uh, wise and the foolish brides. And then we come to the um, parable of the talents. And then, of course, the last part, you know, um, the son who will judge the nations. What I'd like to do is read again verses 14 through 30 of Matthew chapter 25. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went out and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled in accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things I will give you. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you also delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I was asked if I could preach on this parable so anytime anyone wants, you know, a passage that you'd like to hear explained, feel free to ask. We can uh, take time for that. And this was one that was asked about. So I thought, well, okay, New Year's Day is a good day, or New Year's Week is a good day to, to begin with this sermon because it's also applicable to the New Year. So but it's amazing when you uh, think about this parable the Lord is so good. He is so good. I mean, he not only saves his people, but he also 
gives them a task in life. He just gives them an abundance of gifts and resources and says, now you go out into the world and you serve me. It's, it's a delight that his people can do that. And really, and that's what we're going to, uh, again, begin our first Sunday of the New Year's by asking questions. What, is this the focus of our life? Is this the focus of your life? Is this the focus of my work and my daily life? In my daily life, am I serving faithfully in the awareness that Jesus is coming back? He is returning. And this is what Jesus brings out in the parable of the talents. And Jesus here is not addressing the world. He's addressing the church. He's addressing, you could say, the members of the church. Here in the context of his day, he was addressing God's covenant people. He was addressing Israel, his people who belong to him. And as God's people, yeah, we belong to him, don't we? We don't belong to the world. He saved us so that we could belong to him, body and soul and life and in death. And that special relationship, he has laid down in his covenant. And God, you see how he, he brings that covenant to concreteness for us by leading his glory. God and his son leads his glory. He descends to our level. He comes to us. He buys us. And he makes us his own special people through his perfect work on the cross through his sacrifice on the cross of our sins, so that we can publicize and serve his, serve in his kingdom and for his glory. That's why we're here, right? We're here to serve him and to bring glory to him. So different, even though the world does the same kinds of tasks in many ways, but our focus is different, entirely different, night and day difference. And that's what Jesus wishes to bring out in this parable. In Jesus' day, though, Israel's God's people no longer saw the covenant and all its blessings in Jesus as a gift, as something very special, as an inheritance of the Lord. And it showed they didn't use the gift and all its blessings to serve the Lord. They were there to serve themselves. In this parable of talents, as God's people, you know, the Lord Jesus encourages us to serve him faithfully until he returns. That's really the point of the parable. The encouragement to faithfully serve him until he returns. And really, I think the question can be asked, what am I doing with the Lord's talents in my life? Maybe instead of what? How? How am I doing? How am I doing with the Lord's talents that he has given me because of his relationship with me? How am I doing with it? Where am I at? In this parable, we're going to see two things. We're going to see in the covenant community, there's two differing attitudes. And there's two differing attitudes. And there's two differing judgments. But first of all, we see two different attitudes. You notice how Jesus begins here? It's really about the kingdom, isn't it? For the kingdom of heaven is like. So we're talking about the king. We're talking about the kingdom. 
And now Jesus uses a story, he uses a parable, to teach us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, it's a comparison. You see the word like means it's a comparison. The, par- the parable is a comparison to something bigger, to something greater, to his kingdom. And in verse 14, in this parable, we see that this man, in this parable, he's going away, he's going far away. But before he goes, he calls his own servants. Now these are servants who belong to him. And he delivers his goods to them. Notice that these goods, they belong to him, they belong to the man that's going away, but what does he do? He entrusts those goods and puts it into the hands of his servants. And he says, now, use them. You're free to use them. Use them in the way you wish, but as long as they're to serve me and for the building up of my estate. Those goods are his, but his servants are to manage. You could say, manage. Manage his goods for him while he is away. One point of comparison that can be made immediately here is that the man's journey is like Christ being away from us for the time being, where is he? In heaven, until he returns. We see from verse 15 that he distributes his goods. How? To each according to his own ability. Not everyone has the same abilities. He knows. So to the one he gives more, to the one he gives a little less, and others less still. That's not to say that one is more important than the other. All are equal. But he gives it according to their abilities. And so to the one he gave five talents, we read, to another two, and to another one. And then he went on his journey. Now the word talent, the word talent here simply means a sum of money that weighed a talent. Now, today we use the word kilogram. Okay, back then it was called talent. So it's a sum of money that weighed a talent. That was a large sum of money. One talent was a large sum of money, especially if it was that much, a talent. So we have to be careful that we do not apply this parable, however, only to money. Because it's not just about money. Remember, the parable is a comparison. And so the talents of money in this parable compare to the particular tasks that have been given to believers in this world. Everyone has his own abilities. Everyone, every believer has been given his tasks to serve the king and his kingdom to his utmost. The king loves that until the time that he returns. And so believers are called to serve in their tasks faithfully as they look forward to the joy of Christ's return. The work entrusted to you by the Lord, whether that's parenting, teaching, business, or in a day-to-day work in the shops, Whatever it is, we're called to serve him faithfully and diligently.
Not all people have equal duties. Not all people have equal tasks. But the Lord knows the capabilities of each one of us here. If it's a little, or whether it's a lot, that we do it with our whole heart in service to Him. Just give you one example of of how this applies to parenting. And you can apply that in many different ways. But think of parenting, a most important task. Who do children, first of all, belong to? Not to parents. No. They first of all belong, we're talking about the covenant community, they first of all belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord, and the Lord entrusts them those are the talents. He entrusts them to parents. For what purpose? That they may raise them for him. To serve him. To glorify him. Now you can apply that in many ways. To all the possessions and resources and time. Talents. The application to talent is, is so broad here. But the point is we're to do, we're to serve him for his own glory. Think of pastors and elders. They've also been entrusted with the Lord's goods. What goods? Well, the people whom he bought with his own blood, the flock. And there too, when the Lord returns, how have we handled those responsibilities? Did we do our service faithfully? After all, these are people he bought with his own blood. So yeah, talents and covers abilities, gifts, your tasks, your work, possessions, all that Christ has entrusted us so that we may serve him. Do the servants in the parable see all those things as their master's property? And that's really the question. Do we see everything that we have? Is it ours? Uh-uh. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. Everything that we have is the Lord's. It's entrusted to us. You could say it's there for us to manage, but it's not ours. It's His. It belongs to Him. Will these servants see it that way? Will they consider it therefore a great honor that their master entrusted those gifts to them? Well, what an honor that the Lord has given this and this and this to me. Will this honor show in their making the best possible use of their talents in his service? Well, two of the servants did see it this way. If you read verses 16 to 17, the one who received five talents, he understood. He understood it wasn't his, ultimately. It was the Lord's. And he went out to work with it to use it for his glory, traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise it said the same for the one who was given two. He received two more. Now you can say in both these cases they both made 100% profit. We can't be legalistic here and say, well, we have to make 100% profit. No, the whole point is that as we serve the Lord, we want to see him bring his blessing, however that may come. That's really the point here. But notice that in both of these, the man with the five talents and the one with the two talents, they were motivated to serve him in two ways. 
First of all, by the master's relationship with him. Right? They were motivated by the master's relationship to them. Right? He, uh, they, they, they were motivated by the fact that the, masters, the master trusted them. Okay, that was the first thing. And the second thing is, they're motivated by the thought of Christ's return. Those two things. Right? The fact of his relationship with us, that ought to motivate us. And the fact that Christ is going to return, that also ought to motivate us to serve him. Because of their loving relationship with their master, they were faithful. They didn't do it out of duty. No. It was a responsibility, yes. But it was a joyful response to all that the Lord had done for them. They were just, they felt honored that the Lord would just bestow them. Even if they had few gifts, that he would still give that to them in order to serve him, to advance his kingdom. The other servant, he was probably a nice guy. People probably liked him. He was also called. Notice the other two were called. But he didn't see it that way. He didn't see it in the way that the master wanted him to see it. We read there in 17, But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. What did he do? He buried it. While the first two were diligent, this one was negligent in his task. He did not use his talent in the service of his master. Well, you might say, yeah, but he only had one talent. Maybe that was his complaint. I only have one talent anyway. No excuse. The smallness of his gifts is no excuse. He was called. It was given him. It was something that was very special. Not that you compare yourself to others, but you look at what the Lord has given you and to use it for him. And yet he just dug a hole and buried his talent in the ground. You know what else he did? He buried the honor of God in the ground. He buried the honor of his master. Think about it. Think about it. In the covenant today, in the covenant community, these two different attitudes so easily live. And maybe sometimes we waver between one or the other. Those struggles with our sinful nature, no doubt there. But the beautiful thing is, by God's grace, there are people in the church who gladly serve him with all they have, in spite of all their sins, in spite of all their weaknesses, that doesn't stop them from serving him. With all the stains, with all the heartaches and pains of life, they continue to, continue to serve him because their heart is for their master. You see their passion for their master. They see that their life is all about Christ. It's all about for him and for his kingdom. After all, that's what it's all about. Our gifts, our time, our possessions, our abilities. After all, then Christ, then God give himself to us fully. And so we respond, we give ourselves back to him. 
But there are also people in the church who really don't want to belong to Jesus. To them, that takes away their self-respect because they're no longer their own boss about the things that they have. Right? When you belong to Jesus, he's the one who says what you should do. And so you have people who say, well, no, I want to be in charge. I want to do it in my own way. Maybe they don't bury their talents, but they do their own thing with his talents. They show that by not wanting to serve him with all that they have. And like the third servant, they put themselves first. Or using his talents, they put their family first or their status first, but not the Lord and not his kingdom. Maybe they put their job first, but not the Lord and not his kingdom. Wow. Again, it does not show thanks for his gifts by using it for him. Or maybe we find that there's such a struggle in us that we, we realize that we lack in that area and we're not serving the Lord as we should. Again, there's grace. There is grace for us to know that the Lord comes to us and says that we may pray to him and he's the one who gives us that greater passion, that greater desire to serve him and his kingdom because that's what it's all about. The world is fleeting. The world is fleeting. The kingdom is eternal. That's where the real investments are made. But yeah, like this man with the one talent, there are people who are not thinking of the day of Christ coming, the day when he will settle accounts with them. In verse 19 we read, After a long time the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And that brings us to verses 20 to 30. You have the two differing attitudes, but you also see the two differing judgments. In this parable, verses 20 to 23, the servants now approach their master and appear before him one by one. Right? He comes back. He returns. One by one, they appear before him. The first, he brings the other five talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered my five talents. Look, I have gained for you five more talents besides them. He's not bragging. Understand that. He's not boasting. He's just so overjoyed by what the Master has done in his life. He says, Lord, you know, even the things that have been done, it's because of your grace at work in my life. Here it is. Here it is. And likewise, the one who had two talents. You know, he didn't have near as much as the first. But he didn't look at that. He just looked at God's grace in his life. He says, Lord, he's not bragging. He's just saying, here it is, Lord. I'm so thankful to you for your work of love and grace in my life that I could serve you in this way. And it multiplied by your grace. Here it is, Lord. The point is, they knew they were called by him. They were faithful. They wanted to, ple- they wanted to please him. And you know that desire to please the Lord? That doesn't come from within us. Right? Our sinful natures. 
this doesn't allow for that. That's only the fruit of God's grace in our lives. There's no other way. And we, again, you know, if we find that we struggle with that, and we all do to some extent, but the point is to go to Christ because he has given us a spirit who enables to change that in our own lives. But you notice that in these first two, they joyfully use the talents the master had given them. And you hear the master's, he's, the master himself is so joyful, so overjoyed. You know, when we, when, we, when we hear about Christ's return, sometimes people get afraid. But here you see the master, the master just overjoyed by the, the, uh, the desires, the, 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 um, the, the service of the first two, master, first two servants. And he says to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And you think of those words, beautiful words, what comforting words for this coming year. And, you know, may that, those, those words of the Lord, enter the joy of your Lord, may that inspire us, may that encourage us to continue to serve the Lord. The world doesn't think in those terms. They think about only in terms of serving themselves. But may those words of the Lord encourage us to think in terms of um, serving Him. What an encouragement, what an inspiration to grow in our passion, to grow in our desire, to grow in our witness into the community. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now we understand here, good here does not mean without sin. Oh, there are so many sins we have to struggle and fight against. There are so many weaknesses. Even our very best works are stained with sin. But what is good here? Good here means upright. Upright. Honorable. And here's the difference between Christ's church and the world. God's people see all that is given them is from the Lord and it's to be brought back to the Lord in service to Him. That's upright. That's honorable. That's the fruit of faith. The world in its unbelief, however, doesn't see it this way. It says, work hard, work hard. I will do well for myself. All that is given me is mine. No one tells me how I should manage my time. No one tells me how I should manage my resources my possessions, my work. That's not upright. That's not works of faith. Wow, what a difference, eh? You see the big difference? One is centered on Christ. The other one is centered on self. One is the kingdom of light. One's the kingdom of darkness. One's the kingdom of Christ. The other is the kingdom of Satan. The master ends with his words by saying to his servants, I will make you rule over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. Again, you will not find words filled with more blessing and more promise than these. It should stir us up, shouldn't it? To think of that, there's something greater coming. The many things of the future don't apply to the task of believers on the earth were insignificant. 
But in comparison to the future eternal glory, the things that we see now, the blessings we see now, are so small compared to the greatness that is to come. Before we move on to the third servant, I want us to personally reflect on the question, what is the focus of my life? Is it me? Is it my work? Is it my education? Or is the Lord serving the Lord with my education? Come on in. Serving the Lord with my time. Serving the Lord with my resources. It's a big difference. And it's really a question. It's really an issue. A life or death question. It's a huge, it's a huge question. What is the difference between Life or death? That's the contrast. Enter, the, enter into the joy of the Lord is a powerful encouragement. And where we lack, remember our sufficiency is always in Christ. Always in Christ. He has called you. Will he not equip you for what he has called you to do? Don't turn away from him because you will never find it in yourself. And you will never find satisfaction in yourself. Never, ever. You'll always be going to wells that are broken again and again and again. If you lack desire, you need to go to Jesus, the risen and Savior and Lord, to turn from self, to trust him for your salvation. Because salvation in Christ wasn't involved, it involves transformation by his spirit. If anyone is in Christ, says the Bible, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. What does that mean? Our time, our talents, our tasks, our jobs, our possessions, we now see totally different than we did before when we were not believers. Because now it's all in the perspective of Christ, serving him. He's the master. He's the one whom we serve. He's the one who is our aim. He is our glory. You know, the third servant serves as a warning to the wicked in the covenant. Verses 24 and 25, this third servant who hid his one talent in the ground comes to his master with his one talent. You know what he does? Two verses of an answer. Two verses of this chapter are his answer. Sometimes when we're in the wrong, we make a long defense of ourselves. <laughs> right? When we feel guilty... We give long-worded answers. And we have so much to say. And so much to defend ourselves. That's what this man does. He gives this long answer. And you see crocodile tears coming from his eyes. Almost weeping. And he says, Master, I knew you were a hard and harsh man. Why? Because his master is asking him to harvest. But his master didn't sow. His master is asking him to, to scatter seed. Sorry, his master is asking him to gather. But the master didn't scatter seed. That's why I hid my talent. This is just an excuse. The master sees through all our excuses lame excuses, all our pretenses. 
It's just an excuse. And the thing is, the master did sow. He sowed. The master did scatter. How? He sowed by entrusting his gifts to this one servant. He scattered the seed by entrusting the gifts to his one servant. Now he had to continue continue planting it. Is this not true in a relationship with us in the covenant? God gives us himself to to us in Christ and all his blessings to those whom he has called. He sows through us, doesn't he? He entrusts to us his talents and so that we can just build on what he has given us. Continue to use what he has given us for his glory and watch it Watch it multiply. Watch it grow. Watch it be blessed when it's done in his service. You know, the real problem is the third servant didn't want the master to have any say over his life. That was the real issue. That, not fear, was the reason for his laziness. After his long-winded and weepy answer... The master gives a very short answer, very brief reply. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. You ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. He was even too lazy for that. He was not orienting his life to Christ's return, nor was he looking forward to it with joy. He was too full of himself to think about those things. He needed to be converted. He needed to have his life changed. The master says, Now take that talent away from him and give it to him who has ten. Notice that this this master, sorry, this servant with the one talent had no longer an opportunity to do what he had refused to do. There was no second chances given to him. No other opportunities. He had one time to do it. One life. And that time was over for him. What he had was taken away from him. And then we read in verse 30, He will cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can't get a greater contrast between life and death than what's painted before us in this parable. Enter into the joy of your Lord on the one hand, and on the other, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? What about your time, your education, your possessions, all your, your whole life, your tasks, your duties. Why are we doing it? What's our aim? What's our focus? Is it for ourselves? Or is it for the Lord? Again, what makes this parable so par- what makes this parable so powerful is the Lord is addressing the covenant community. He's not even addressing the world. He's addressing the covenant community. You notice when the judgment day finally comes, the wicked will put the blame on God. They always do. And on the judgment day, they will also blame God like this lazy servant. But they are to blame. 
They will call him hard and harsh. But their hearts are hard and hardened to his love and to his grace. They will say they've done all that is necessary. But they never trusted in Christ who's done all that is necessary. So that we may live the lives that Christ wants us to live in freedom and in service to him. And joyfulness to him. You know, the covenant is a very special relationship. And your baptism, your baptism is a very, very special mark of God's commitment to you and his love to you. All his promises, all his blessings are yours in Christ. You belong to him. And that means everything else that belongs to you also belongs to him. In the first place. Everything. Everything. Joel Vicky in his devotional asked this question for all of us to ponder. On this passage he says, Are we actively serving him now by taking the personal and material resources he has given you and using them in his service and for his glory? We do that in part by orienting our lives toward the joy of his coming. Only then can we really be motivated and have that joy of serving him in this way. You know what? It's this that gives focus. It's this that gives real perspective on life. Real clarity for the new year. So yeah, that's really the point. Am I here to serve the Lord And that means not just with my lips, but everything that he has given me is always to be in service of his name for his glory and for the building up of his kingdom. May the Lord bless us also as a congregation this coming year. Amen.